You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. So great to see so many of you. Love this. And uh, thankful for you and for this time right now together here at Hope Bible Church. By the way, Hope, that is a great name for a church. That's a great name for a church, and also, hey, we have so many new people coming to our church in recent weeks and months, which we are so thankful for. Um, Many of you will be having, obviously, appropriately questions about our church, and we're trying our best to get those answered for you in steps one and two and beyond, and different things that we're offering here in this church through our amazing staff team and elders and leaders and so on, and our people. One of the questions you might have about Hope is, hey, what's up with the logo? don't really understand the logo. Um, could you maybe give some clarification as to what is with the logo? Yes, love to do that if you're new to our church. Our logo is a symbol of the empty tomb. Um, the empty tomb, again, Jesus Christ raised from the dead when the tomb is empty, is, is without question, the greatest turning point in the history of the world. And that's why Easter Sunday is what it is. The moment Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and walks out from that tomb is the moment hope literally explodes through the entire earth and has resulted in billions and billions of lives being changed in the hope that is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we call ourselves Hope Bible Church, and so we came up with a symbol that best represents we think is the most powerful symbol for hope. And so that's what our uh, symbol represents is kind of the opening of the tomb. So some of you were kind of like, oh, okay, I kind of get that, still don't really get it. Well, here's a little video we came up with a couple of years ago as we uh, took this on. And so here it is, the tomb being opened, the light bursting forth from Jesus Christ, and there's a symbol in the tomb, and voila, Hope Bible Church. All right, oh, now I get it, now I get it. And that's again where we are, and that's so incredible. You want to see that one more time? You want to see that one more time. Let's just do that one more time, just because we can. Let's do that. Thanks, team in the back. Tomb being open, life and love bursting forth there in Jesus Christ. There's a symbol, and let's add a few words to that. Whole Bible Church, here we are. Let's go. Let's go. All right? So there, that's helpful for you. Now, now you can get some hope swag, all right? And now you can wear it with confidence, but it's such a great conversation starter. Hey, what's up with that? Let me tell you what's up with that. It is the greatest symbol of hope, again, the world has ever seen. Hope, indeed, a great name for a church because, as we just learned, it is a massive and glorious theme in Scripture. Our passage today, and by the way, please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Our passage today is dripping with hope. So I warn you, you might get wet, okay? But like best wet ever, it's hope wet, okay? Dripping with hope. And as we're turning in Romans chapter 8, let's define hope. Like let's get on the same page in terms of what we're talking about biblically as we discuss hope, okay? So here's a definition of hope. There's a couple different ones, but here's one we can use right now, which is helpful. We've had for a long time. Hope is the confident, undying expectation. That's so key. Hope is the confident, undying expectation based on the integrity, the character, the perfect faithfulness of God. And here's the clincher. Here's the application that makes our future secure despite, doesn't matter what happens in our life, despite our circumstances, another way to define hope in two words would be profound certainty. Hope is the reality. Again, look up here for a second. Hope is not, oh, I I hope it happens. It's not a cross. That's the world's definition of hope. Our biblical definition of hope, again, is understanding what God has promised 
will be. The utter profound certainty and such confident expectation of what awaits us and the reality of Jesus Christ. That's a great lead into our passage today. Romans 8, uh, starting at verse 18, we'll read to verse 25. I pray you are ready to be encouraged. Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That is hope. Verse 19, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's perfected believers. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, notice, in hope. What? That the creation itself will be set free from bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, but not only the creation, but we ourselves, believers in Christ, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Notice this. All that to say this, Paul says, for in this, our sermon title, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? That's a good point. For if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Okay, so today is all about hope. Hope is dripping again from this text. As we unpack hope, let's frame it this way. Why is our hope so powerful? What impact does hope make on the believer in Jesus Christ? What signs in my life should I look for to know that hope is present and making a difference? Hope is absolutely paramount for the person genuinely alive in Jesus Christ. So how do we know that hope has taken root and hope is bearing fruit in our lives? A few answers to that question from our text today. The first answer, number one, is this. Why is hope so powerful? Because it brings perspective in my suffering. Hope brings perspective to my suffering. Again, verse 18. Take a look at verse 18. For I consider, Paul says, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. Now, notice again, loved ones, okay, whether you're new in Christ, whether you're on your journey towards Christ, whether you've been in Christ, let's say, for decades, please see how prevalent the theme of suffering is within the New Testament. It shows up again and again and again. The reality that if you're going to follow Jesus Christ genuinely, suffering must accompany this journey as it prepares us for the hope to be revealed in glory. The theme of suffering, our context is verse 17. Look at verse 17. You are heirs with God, co-heirs with Christ. Now notice the condition here. 
co-heirs with Christ, verse 17, provided we suffer with him, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him as well. So notice this from verse 17. Suffering is a prerequisite for glory. You can look at verse 17 this way. In Christ, no suffering, no glory. The whole idea is, if you're a co-heir with Christ, the condition is, the prerequisite is, you suffer with him. By the way, this is not suffering for sin. Let's make that abundantly clear. Suffering for sin is a result of our stupidity, is a result of our sinfulness. This is suffering with Christ. Suffering for the purposes, the righteousness of Christ, we might suffer with him, with Christ, in order that we may also be glorified with him. And verse 17, of course, leads right into verse 18. Paul's like, hey, let's talk about suffering. Let's talk about suffering. He knows a bit about suffering, more than you and I will probably ever know. Let's talk about suffering. And he says, it's not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Now, what we're entering into, church, right now, okay, this is so important. What we are entering into in verse 18, this is gonna separate, I can say it this way, this will separate the men from the boys, the women from the girls. Like, this is gonna separate the mature from the immature. Right here, what Paul is downloading in verse 18, this is his maturity in action. This is his perseverance through persecution. This is his character within chaos. This is his courage within crisis. This is Paul demonstrating to us why he was so powerfully used for Jesus Christ in the midst of such serious and brutal suffering and heartache that he constantly faced. How did he do it? What was his secret? How could he endure so much? Here's how, here's why. It was his value system. It's what he lived for. It's where and whom he placed his value in. Notice in our text, hope is so relevant to Paul's life. By the power of the Holy Spirit, it determines how he lives. We can say it this way. The hope of Paul in determines entirely his perspective. You can say it this way. His hope dictates his circumstances. His circumstances do not dictate his hope or feelings. Faith and grace in Jesus Christ leads to the explosion of hope, and hope then going forward dictates our circumstances as many of us as that song sung over us just now began to feel, to agree with, and to acknowledge. Many of us as that song of heaven was sung over us, the Holy Spirit gently leads us to see sin and unbelief and idolatry, and we gladly repent of our sin even in that moment to see that we've been wayward, our eyes have been off of Christ, we get our eyes back on Christ again, and all of a sudden the Hope changes how we live. No longer do the circumstances dictate my feelings in life. Now my hope starts to interpret my circumstances. This is what's happening with Paul right now. If you look at verse 18, there are three main players in verse 18. 
You have suffering, you have glory, and then you have not worth comparing in between those two. Not worth comparing, really interesting phrase in the original, carries the meaning of weight or scales. This was a phrase that was figuratively used of a weight that would, a phrase we know well, would tip the scales. So understand this, okay? The weight of glory, the weight of glory that is to come is so heavy. It is so massive. It is so colossal. Paul says, it's not even worth comparing to the sufferings of our present time. That's how immense the hope of glory is and the glory that is coming. Paul says it this way too. Second Corinthians 4, one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament. He says this very similar. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us. Light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that will be beyond all comparison. So notice Paul's passion here. Notice the Holy Spirit's passion that we as the church, believers in Christ, would live with such perspective. Now, see, what we're seeing in verse 18 here, notice our present sufferings, as real as they may be, as hard and as significant as they, now we're not discounting that at all, but our present sufferings are like a thimble of water compared to the ocean of glory that is soon to be revealed at the coming of Jesus Christ or when we go meet him face to face. Again, this is an extremely powerful principle right now for all those people who call themselves genuine believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I cannot stress this enough. This principle right here, okay? The Holy Spirit, the Bible, is not making light of your suffering, but the Bible is making light of your suffering. Can I put it that way? It's not diminishing the suffering you feel. But right now, take the most significant and serious suffering, not for sin, but suffering for Christ, suffering, heartache, pain, trial that you have been through in the past. Maybe you're going through it currently right now. You take the most significant season time of suffering with Christ in your life ever, and Paul says when it comes to the scales of eternity, it's not even worth showing up to the scale with our present sufferings when you compare it to the weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. Not diminishing your suffering, but diminishing your suffering. Make sense, right? Not making light of it, but making light of it. Again, when it comes to the scales, don't even show up in the end when we're seeing the revealing of glory and the weight and the magnificence and the immense reality of our life in Christ and rewards in heaven, all the suffering that we went through now, you won't even show up with it to even bother to weigh it. It's that insignificant. Wow. What do we just do? Hope. Hope is so powerful because hope allows us to see the reality of what's to come so we don't get overwhelmed and so distracted in the present. You see, if we as believers in Christ, again, I'm speaking obviously, the Bible's speaking to believers here, the unbeliever doesn't get this, 
if we just focus on our suffering the whole time and we eat suffering and we focus on that for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and suffering's always on the table and we never, we're just looking down, looking down, suffering, 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 whining, complaining, feeling sore, whatever it is, all those things that never, but then all of a sudden hope, hope makes us look up. We, we change our meal. Hope comes on the table. All of a sudden we are eating hope. We are feeding on hope. We see hope. We see Christ. And all of a sudden hope starts to interpret the meal of suffering that tries to take us away every single day. The suffering's legit, but the hope is greater. The hope is what allows us to have perspective in suffering. If we don't have hope, we won't have perspective. We don't have perspective and we just live for all we can see in front of us. An an, an extremely important principle for the Christian life, the power of hope comes up again and again and again in scripture. Look what he does next in verse 19 now. He says, by way of example, for the creation waits, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, this is amazing, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from bondage to corruption to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So this is amazing to me here. Paul now explains that creation itself is longing to be set free. So creation, creation is filled with hope. Now, the curse of sin subjected creation to futility. Futility, in other words, frustration. Our creation, creation is frustrated. It longs for, for how it was meant to be, its fulfillment to be set free from the bondage. Creation, loved ones, joins us in our frustration. Why is creation so frustrated? Genesis 3.17, of course, from the sin entered the world. Cursed is the ground because of sin, because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Difficulty, pain, creation itself is crying out to be released from its bondage. So it won't be long now before the grass starts to grow. You know that I'm aware of that. And that also means it won't be long before weeds start to grow with it. Boo, boo. If you know me longer than a couple minutes, you know how much I hate weeds. It comes up every year. It comes up every six months. It's just the way it works because weeds are from the curse of sin and the very pit of hell as well, all right? Weeds, they're all from the curse. They are, they are. But you see, weeds are creation crying out, set me free, every tornado, every ice storm, every diseased tree, every flood, Every rotting carcass is creation crying out to be set free from its bondage and corruption to know the freedom at the same time as the revealing of the sons of God again. Those are perfected believers. It's amazing. Creation then subjected to frustration and futility, but not without hope. Creation cries out with hope of the new heavens and the new earth soon to come. In verse 20, again, the last two words, in hope. Creation has perspective determined by hope. Hope brings perspective. This is not all there is. There is more to come. Hope thinks on and prays for and longs for the reality 
of the fulfillment of our salvation and creation joins in with us. We sang a few songs today that made so much sense to that as well. Listen, loved ones, hope, change, hope changes the way I live. Hope has to. Hope brings perspective in my suffering. Number two, hope makes sense of my groaning. Hope makes sense of my groaning. Look now at verse 22, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning. I love this. I've always, always loved this truth. Has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth, the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, what do we learn here about hope? Ready? Two words. We learn here about hope. Ready? Hope groans. Hope groans. Are you alive in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you genuinely saved? You should groan. You should be groaning. It is biblical to groan. It is right to groan. It is good to groan. We should be groaning physically, longing for the redemption of our bodies. We should be groaning spiritually, the longing for the fulfillment of our salvation. We should be groaning for eternity without a doubt all over this passage and so many other ones as well. Let's get some clarification though, ready? Groaning is not complaining. Groaning is not murmuring. That's sin. Groaning is not whining. That's sin too. That's not the groaning we're speaking of here. Groaning rather is longing through pain, longing for fulfillment, longing for Christ, longing for full, complete adoption, longing for redemption, longing through pain. I want you to notice too, there's a triple groaning in our text here. Notice verse 22, creation groans. See that? Verse 22, creation groans. Notice in verse 23, believers are groaning inwardly. Notice in verse 26, The Holy Spirit is groaning as well. See that? The Holy Spirit is groaning. All three are longing for the completion of that which has been started. Verse 22, notice, creation groans with the pains of childbirth. What a metaphor to use, eh? Creation is groaning with the pains of childbirth. Now we think of childbirth and the pains of childbirth, and as that's happening, it is extremely painful, I'm told. Okay, And in childbirth, the pain, but the pain is not without hope. The process of childbirth is moving towards the new birth of a child and the explosion of hope in that birth to come. So our world right now, creation, in the pains of childbirth, creation is groaning not towards death. Creation is groaning ultimately towards the new birth of new heavens and new earth. The groans that we see around us are the indication of creation saying the new birth, the birth is coming, but it's painful as we wait. This is so helpful. Jesus himself predicted these things would happen before his second coming. He said there would be false teachers and wars and famines and earthquakes. Notice how he put this in Matthew 24. This is super relevant for us right now. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Notice, all these are but the beginning of birth pains. But notice, the beginning of what is to come, the new birth. 
the birth of, again, the full redemption of the believers in Christ and the redemption of the earth, the world itself, resulting in new heavens and new earth. That is amazing to me. And then we have verse 23, right? So the creation is growing. But verse 23, and not only creation, Paul says, but we ourselves, believers in Jesus Christ, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So why do we grow? It says there too, notice in verse 23, it says, for we have the first fruits of the Spirit. What is that? Why does he say first fruits of the Spirit? This is the already of our salvation pointing to the not yet of our salvation in Jesus Christ. First fruits was a farming term. When there was a harvest being gathered, the farmer would take a sample of the harvest to come called the first fruits. He or she would bring this sample and present it as the first fruits for the enjoyment and the excitement of the sample of the full harvest that is still to come. So we who are saved in Jesus Christ, we have been given the Holy Spirit. We have a taste of the Holy Spirit, the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, but we're still battling with sin within us as well. But the Holy Spirit in us, we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, but we know it's a sampling of the full harvest of salvation and redemption that is to come. And so when you taste the Holy Spirit working within you, you have moments of wonderful Holy Spirit activity, but you know we're not there yet. You groan. You long through pain for the completion of what God has started with his Holy Spirit who lives within all true believers. So in this, in, in this sense, loved ones, this is super important too, okay? We need to be groaning. All true believers need to be groaning and longing for completion, for adoption, for redemption of sons. Now, what do we learn here too, ready? It is a bad sign if you get too comfortable here. If you're super good with sitting back with a head, a pillow for your head, and a big ottoman for your feet, and sitting back slurping your, your fruity, fizzy drink, whatever it might be, and sitting on the beach, and you can do that the rest of your life, that's a very bad sign that the Lord is not at work in your life. The Holy Spirit does not permit us to spend the next several years or decades reclining with feet up and sipping a fruity drink on the side of a beach forever doing nothing for the Lord. The Holy Spirit will not let us do that. He causes us to groan for the reality of more in Christ and to make our lives count because we know this world is not all there is. So if you love this world a lot and you're super comfortable and all you want to do is be more comfortable in this world, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's a very bad sign. That's not what the believer in Jesus Christ is. Our world preaches ease, comfort, sit back. It's all about you, selfishness, self and That's what the world does. Here and now, here and now, here and now. The Holy Spirit says something totally different. The Holy Spirit says you should be longing and groaning and sighing. For the reality of your full salvation in Jesus Christ. So what do we learn here? We learn that growth and groaning go hand in hand. Are you groaning? Are you groaning? Not, not, not complaining, not whining, not murmuring. Are you groaning? Are you longing? Groaning is long. The more we grow, the more we groan. But groaning, groaning for what? By the way, like another word for groaning could be 
sighing. I've become a big fan of sighing. Just want you to know that, all right? In this context, biblically speaking, my, my family, my children are getting used to dad sighing. You know, you kind of wake up in the morning and sometimes it's just hard to wake up, isn't it? I mean, you wake up and you let out a big, oh, right? Like the physical body sighing, knowing one day as a believer, one day I'll be set free from this body. You see the, the, the world and the news, and I'll, I'll be walking out and just let out a, a, an audible, verbal, pretty loud, like, oh, like sigh, you know? But for me, it's not complaining as much. It's just the expression of there's more than this. I really, I really encourage you to sigh. I, I highly recommend it. You should, you should try. It's very therapeutic, okay? but it's also very biblical, like, this is part of groaning. It's an expression. Maybe like words can't even express, but you are sighing in the reality that like, man, there's a whole world to come and this isn't it. Oh, in a good way. It does feel good. It really does. I'm thankful for that. And I do, I, I recommend it in the right sense that you maybe try to take this up. But what are we groaning for? Verse 23, Adoption. You say, I thought we were already adopted as sons and daughters in Christ. We are if we're saved, and yet the fullness of our salvation is yet to come, the completion of this. Look at groaning for the redemption of our bodies. Groaning for the full perfection of our bodies. Can somebody say amen? I mean, that's just gonna be just, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Hey, so um, for the first time in 20 years preaching, I'm, I'm wearing glasses now sometimes. And, and why do I have to do that? Well, I mean, let's just be honest, because my eyes are decaying. Because I'm wasting away. That's why, as the Bible says. My eyes are groaning. And that's just one of the realities. Many in this room right now, you have injuries, pain. Some of us have significant disease. Some of us are battling through tremendous trials and different crises of illnesses, serious complications. Some of us right now have cancer. It's all groaning. It's the body groaning and crying out for the full redemption that is to come in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice here too, notice how connected the physical is with the spiritual. You see that? It's like the physical groans, but the reality of the spiritual groaning that we have all being laid out here in our passage so beautifully and so powerfully. Loved ones, this is the power, the power of hope that one day soon we will receive. I mean, just imagine this. We will receive a perfect, untainted, and immortal body without blemish and no sin whatsoever. That's the hope in Jesus Christ. It is coming, it is coming fast. You think of the billions of people and the billions of dollars that these people spend trying to delay the inevitable, which is death. You think of the billions of dollars spent on cosmetics and surging, whatever it is, and they're all trying to dress up this body that is decaying and rotting and will soon become a corpse. Man, I just like, here's a tip, man. If you follow the Lord Jesus Christ and you love him, the day is coming soon. Well, you will have the perfect body maybe you're dreaming of. You will have the perfection and no sin whatsoever. That's only found in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you start to feel very, very sorry for all those who are thinking this is all there is. All they do is live for now. They have no hope. They have no forever future. They have no faith. 
faith in Jesus Christ. And so therefore, there's really no reason to live other than right now. But we as believers in Jesus Christ, we have promises coming at us from every angle that cause us to live and be so filled with such a powerful hope. Hope is awesome. Philippians 3 verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to this, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. One day soon this is going to happen. Hope must make a difference. It makes sense of our groaning. Paul Tripp, such a wonderful author, a good friend of our church, he says this about this subject. He says it so well. I want to read it to you. He says this, Because we live as this world is all there is, we are perennially demanding and disappointed, thinking that we have been dealt a particularly difficult hand. We envy the people around us who appear to have what we don't, and we find it hard to celebrate the success of others. With the assumption that this world is our final destination, we constantly want more and better. We're never able to say, I have enough. We possess too much, eat too much, spend too much, dream too much, demand too much, complain too much, expect too much, keep score too much, ask too much, and we are disappointed too much. And here's how we end. It's just brilliant wisdom. You see, we don't need a better now. We don't need a better here and now on earth. No, we need hope. We need our forever reality to reshape our here and now. That's what Romans 8 is saying. Our hope dictates our circumstances, not the other way around. Our hope interprets and translates our circumstances, not the other way around. Awesome, hope brings perspective in my suffering. Hope makes sense of my groaning. And lastly, thirdly, hope is the fruit of my salvation. Hope is the fruit. Look at verse 24. Verse 24, and then Paul says this after this amazing text. He says, for in this hope we were saved. What does he mean? For in this hope we were saved. Notice here, hope, loved ones, does not save us. Faith, grace and faith save us. Hope is the product or the fruit of our salvation. Hope is one of the proofs that we are genuinely saved in Christ. So the unbeliever has no hope. They can't, not like this. There's no hope. But the believer in Jesus Christ, saved by grace and faith, hope then explodes from your life. This is what Easter produces within us. Again, Hope is another sign or proof that our salvation is real in Jesus Christ, right? Let's just bottom line it. Hope is essential in the life of any true believer in Jesus Christ. Loved ones, hope must change the way we live. Hope must be seen within our lives. It has to. It's a theological necessity and requirement for genuine salvation. The believer in Jesus should look so different than the world around us. You know, there's a documented growing pessimism in the 21st century. In recent years, 
last couple of decades, there's a growing hopelessness and despair that is being documented. Polls are showing here too. I take uh, some of these in- indications from a Tim Keller book on hope as it turns out. And so what are the reasons for the increasing pessimism within our day? Well, there are many reasons. Some of them point to things like fragmentism and polarization of society through extreme political partisanship. There's a growing tribalism within our culture which has resulted in a loss of any shared ideas of common good. There's no center anymore. It's creating tremendous pessimism. There's a profound loss of societal trust, which has started to, already has undermined all societal institutions, resulting in tremendous pessimism and despair. Even the technological advances are hurting us. Things like, for example, modern travel, as great as that has become, makes it a a pandemic, for instance, impossible to contain. Social media and the internet as a whole has created almost an impossible situation of knowing what to believe and to trust. This has resulted in a tremendous pessimism and growing despair. The threat of climate change, the never-ending possibility of international terrorism, and the ongoing increasing threat of something like nuclear war. There's a tremendous pessimism that is found in our world today. And from that sense, you can understand the anxiety and the hopelessness that is starting to lead so many lives down so many barren places. It's interesting, um, a guy named Andrew Sullivan, a liberal, secular thinker, reading another examination of a secular thinker on the the reality of growing hopelessness in our day. He said this about this other author. He says, he doesn't have a way of explaining why, for example, there's so much profound discontent, depression, drug abuse, despair, addiction, and loneliness in the most advanced liberal societies ever. See, shouldn't this equal the elimination of this? But it's not. This is increasing this. And this other author doesn't explain why. Andrew Sullivan goes on to say this then. He says this, and he's, he's on the right track. He says, as we have slowly and surely attained more progress, we have lost something that undergirds all of it. Meaning, cohesion, and a different, deeper kind of happiness than the satiation of all our earthly needs could ever actually provide. You see, so our world is so obsessed with the here and now and the fulfillment of self-indulgence, but what Sullivan is referring to and the Bible confirms, we've lost the meaning behind actual hope. His name is Jesus Christ. The purpose, the value, the power that only Jesus Christ can bring. See, the world is so superficial. What the world has discarded is the supernatural hope found in Jesus. So again, this is where believers must look and live differently. Why? Because we have hope. We have a profound certainty within us. What kind of profound certainty? We possess a profound certainty of salvation. We possess a profound certainty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
We have a profound certainty of the return of Christ, the imminent return of Christ. We hold a profound certainty of the reality of our resurrected, glorified bodies. We hold a profound certainty as to the defeat of sin and Satan. We hold a profound certainty as to the new heavens and new earth that are coming, loved ones. In this hope, we were saved. So therefore, it must make a difference in our lives. We must exhibit the fruit of salvation, which is hope. And no wonder then, Paul's like, for who hopes for what they can see? For we hope what we do not see. And that's why we wait for it in patience. It changes how we live because we don't live ultimately for here and now. I came across this week, this is a unfamiliar verse to the very famous hymn, It Is Well. I hadn't seen this before. Really, really, really encouraged. Fits perfectly with our text today. But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. I love this line. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. It is well. I mean, that, that's what's happening, right? I mean, look, look at here too, right? The sky, not the grave, is our goal. Blessed hope, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. Hope has to make a difference in the lives of genuine believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, do you have hope? Do you have hope? His name is Jesus Christ. And he makes all the difference in the world. And he makes all the difference in the world to come. Loved ones, let's have hope not just be the name of our church. Let's have hope be the fruit of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you apply this as only you can? I pray you already have. Lord, the perspective in suffering, they make sense of our groaning and the fruit of our salvation. It is so important and so powerful for all believers in Jesus. If someone is here today and not saved, oh, give your life to Jesus Christ that you may be filled with the hope that will never be taken from you. Repent of sin, believe in Jesus, accept him as Lord and Savior. Say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, give me new life. Jesus, you are Lord, you are my Savior. I now follow you. Fill this church, Lord. This truth is so key. Fill your church. Prepare us now for the Lord's Supper. Help us to sing, to live. Help us to love. Help us to have hope, we pray. In Jesus' name.